0: Welcome to the podcast service of Sydney's FM 103.2, available on the web at fm1032.com.au. Well, in this series on Jesus' life, we're making our way through the main pictures of him found in the earliest and most reliable sources about him, the New Testament. We've looked at Jesus the teacher, Jesus the healer, Jesus the Christ, and so on. Over the next couple of nights, I want to look at what is often a forgotten, but historically essential theme of Jesus' life. It's the theme of Jesus as the judge of the world. Years ago, I was speaking to a bunch of year 10 students in a high school in Sydney's southwest. I asked them to imagine their life, every deed, word and thought, recorded on film, and shown to family and friends. The awkwardness in the room was palpable. I then asked, what if God could see that film and decided to hold it against us? One young man in the audience, unaware that he was sitting right near my wife, who could overhear him, mumbled to himself, I'd be a goner. Actually, he used a different word that I can't repeat on 103, but you get the point. Um, This isn't the most theologically articulate response I've ever heard, but, you know, it's instinctively appropriate, isn't it? The thought that the Almighty knows our every thought, word, and deed, and that he has the right to hold us accountable, must cause us to reflect on our lives with seriousness and humility. But before I speak about Jesus as the judge of the world, which is a very prominent theme in the New Testament Gospels, I want to put his teaching in its biblical historical context, which is exactly what he'd want me to do for you. Repeatedly and without embarrassment, the Bible declares that the true God is a God of justice as well as love. In biblical thought, the idea of judgment in no way contradicts the reality of divine love in fact the two themes are very often spoken about together in the same breath it's no exaggeration to say that throughout the bible god's judgment is frequently portrayed as a consequence of his deep compassion According to the Old Testament book of Exodus, for example, God's concern for the enslaved Israelites is what moved him to overthrow the brutal Egyptian overlords. The turning point in the narrative is Exodus 2.23. Let me read it to you. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now this was no simple divine favoritism toward Israel, because no sooner had God's people left Egypt... Then he gave them very clear instructions about their own obligation to care for the downtrodden. If the Israelites oppressed the weak and the poor, declared the Jewish Bible, they too would be overthrown. Here's Exodus 22 verse 21. Do not mistreat an alien or oppress him. For you were aliens in Egypt. Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. And five centuries later, you know, this is exactly what happened in Israel. The Assyrians ousted the Israelites with the sword. And according to the prophet Ezekiel, among others, this was largely because Israel had oppressed the needy within their borders. Let me quote from Ezekiel 22, verse 27. Israel's officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the alien, denying them justice. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their heads all they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. Not surprisingly, we observe the same connection between human injustice and God's judgment in the New Testament. And the point is very clear, that God's judgment is coming on the world because of his compassion toward the oppressed and his fiery anger, therefore, against the oppressors. For example, James, the brother of Jesus, insisted that God is so moved by the cries of the poor and defenceless that he will one day bring his wrath upon rich oppressors of the world. Here's James chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. And in what is perhaps the most disturbing of all the Bible's visions of future judgment, Revelation chapter 18 describes the fate of Awaiting the city of Rome, her obscene opulence while terrorizing the innocent makes her doubly suited for divine judgment. Listen to this terrible passage, Revelation 18, verse 19. Woe, woe, O great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon, a code word for Rome, will be thrown down, never to be found again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. Well, my point is a simple one. One of the most frequent and basic reasons given in the Bible for God's coming judgment is the reality of his compassion. God's fiery concern for the oppressed of the world is what fuels His judgment against the oppressors of the world. God's judgment and compassion lie side by side. Nowadays, people usually object to any idea of God as judgmental. Part of the reason for this, I suspect, is revulsion at the fire and brimstone preaching in some quarters of the church. An elderly friend of mine was put off church in her early 30s after hearing a series of very angry sermons about divine judgment. It seemed to Judy that the preacher quite enjoyed telling people of their impending doom. You know, it was another three decades before she took another look at the faith of her youth. And praise God, she did find that faith again just weeks before she died. There is, of course, another reason people recoil from the concept of God's judgment. We simply don't like it. Cognitive dissonance theory in psychology tells us that people tend to modify or create beliefs to suit their preferences. Now, this is sometimes thrown at Christian people in the form of, you want a father figure in the sky, so you invent a God to believe in. But I reckon the boot is frequently on the other foot. The inconvenience of the notion of the Almighty, especially one who might be displeased with the way I live, is a powerful motivator to exclude that sort of God from my thinking. It isn't that a God like that is inherently implausible, or not in keeping with the facts. It simply doesn't suit my preference, so I rewrite God. The preferred God for many in our contemporary society is the vague, distant creator, the one who kicked off the universe and now, if he thinks of us at all, warmly approves of almost everything we do. Now, This contemporary perspective makes it very difficult for many of us today to approach objectively what is an unavoidable part of the message of the historical Jesus he regularly taught about divine judgment. And you know, he even described himself as the agent of God's judgment. And that's what I want to talk about tomorrow night. I never want us to lose sight of the fact that God and Jesus are merciful and loving, always willing to forgive those who seek their forgiveness. But the theme of God's mercy only makes sense in the light of the theme of God's justice and judgment. Likewise, the news of Christ as the Saviour, which we'll talk about later in this series, only makes sense when we understand that He saves us from God's just judgment. We hope you enjoyed this FM 103.2 podcast. To listen to more great audio, visit FM1032.com.au.